It's a bit like seeing the space station go over. It's so high, so big, so remote. It's just wonderful. Seeing that bird over London, it felt primeval in a way. It was extraordinary. This couldn't have happened for several hundred years. Welcome to the podcast of the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation. This week we're looking at one journey made by one bird and at the impact he made on the people who followed his progress from far below. I'm talking about a bird with eight-foot wingspans, a monster bird, and I like it that he's flown all that distance over south and east England and only a handful of people have seen him. You are within the bounds of civilization still in this sort of natural wild area and there in front of you is a sea eagle it was um, quite a sight to see the bird was g322 one of six white-tailed eagles released on the isle of Wight, having been moved south from nests in scotland by roy dennis and his team working with forestry england the bird first flew on august the 22nd and just a week later had crossed the solent to the mainland and had been given an isle of Wight name to take with him Culver, after Culver Cliff, closely associated with sea eagles for centuries. I'm curious about the sense of wonder he inspired and what Culver came to represent to those who tracked him. It certainly does have a significance to see such a thing over that particular spot in London. It could have been anywhere, but it wasn't. To know that he passed over Culver Cliff where the last eagle was bred in England, it's just fabulous to see him come back. This story starts with a sighting. My name's Ed Pack. Um, my son and I went to the what they call Stop the Coup demonstration outside Downing Street. Thousands of people were there that day, but only two, it seems, noticed Culver more than 2,000 feet above them. And George said, well, what's that up there? He'd obviously looked up. I hadn't been looking up. He'd looked up and seen, and we'd see, it was a huge bird. And we thought, well, this is, what, what is that? Where we live in West Sussex, we're quite familiar with large birds. We have large populations of buzzards, kites. We had two kestrels in the garden yesterday, for example. So we're familiar with the sight of them and can recognise them. But this is something different. And we didn't know what it was. And it was very big and very high and, and just taking the thermals so I took a picture hurriedly took a picture on my phone not even knowing whether I'd captured it because it was so high and emailed it over to my wife but thinking what what is this although we had seen sea eagles up in Scotland previously but not at that height and not in a glide pattern um, so it was unusual, but, you know, I, I see it being described as a flying barn door, and I understand why now, because it's got quite a boxy sort of silhouette to it in, in flight. Something attracted my son to look up, and whether he sensed it, I don't know, but, uh, it, you know, we were amongst quite tall buildings as well, so we were lucky to get a glimpse of it. And this sighting gets still more special. Not only was this apparently the only photograph of Culver taken that day, but the bird was flying over an area with special associations for the Pack family. My late father, his architectural practice was very uh, busy in Victoria. And in fact, the two buildings in the photograph I took are both from the same practice over a couple of generations of partners, as it were. So uh, it was quite extraordinary to, to see this bird flying over there. It's just a shame my father isn't around anymore to have seen it. But... Um, he died a year ago, actually. Um, 
so yeah last September so almost to the year I find it quite moving really the whole whole thing because it's obviously such a uh, a special thing happening at that time at our home here in Scotland Roy was watching the birds progress via the signals from his satellite tag we hadn't expected Culver to go to London because he went to the New Forest for a couple of days and we thought he'd settle there and then maybe fly back to the Isle of Wight. But instead of that, he suddenly makes this huge journey over Southampton Water, up through Hampshire, across uh, towards London and then right over the top of Big Ben following the Thames. And that's when Ed and George saw him. He was obviously intrigued, I would thought. It must have thought, what what the hell is going on down there? Because there were thousands of people. And, of course, it wasn't until the next morning when I was on Twitter did I pick up a a tweet saying, did anybody see a sea eagle over Westminster yesterday afternoon? I always fell over when I saw that because uh, it suddenly thought, yes, we've got a picture of it too. It's extraordinary. My favourite image of that whole week was the idea of Culver floating above the chaos of Westminster. And that's a theme that's recurred, actually, from people I've spoken to about Culver. This peace and imagined simplicity compared with the noise and the chaos down here. The, the thought of it flying over and we're all down there getting on with our business and he's flying above us, a white-tailed eagle above London. That's just incredible. Of course, as Culver's journey continued, people were logging on and following his progress. My name is Pauline Jacobs. My first memory, really, was going on holiday with my parents to Scotland. We were camping up there. So we've always been interested in birds, but the big ones are just so special. There's not many of them around. They're just so magnificent to see. Um, Even if you go along the M40... We're counting the number of kites that we see. They're just wonderful birds, so big and have such presence. The birds sort of take on a personality um, and you want to see what they're doing, who they're doing it with. The idea of being able to track, for example, culver, it is a totally wild bird, but we're able to know where it goes, what it's doing, and to have it go over London so far above is is just amazing. How high was it flying? What sort of height are we talking about? Uh, there were some um, times when it was over a thousand metres. So that's, you know, three to four thousand feet up. So that's really high. At other times it was flying along a couple hundred feet above the ground. So it would vary its height quite noticeably. If the conditions were good and it could soar, it would go very high. Does it say anything about him that he, out of the six, did that journey and the rest have stayed on the Isle of Wight? Only that there's tremendous variation between individuals. You know, there is a tendency for the females to stay uh, to begin with because they're bigger and they need more food. Um, but equally, you know, the other males have stayed. So I think it, it's always good to have a high degree of variation Some are explorers and some stay at home. And of course, at the beginning, you never know quite what is going to happen. Having passed over London, Culver continued to follow the River Thames east, heading for the North Sea coast, just north of the mouth of the Thames estuary. He'd flown more than 130 miles that day. 
When he was on the Essex coast, I thought he might have wandered up towards Suffolk. But when he set off that morning, his initial direction was heading for the Netherlands. And then he turned right and set off across the Thames estuary to the island of Sheppey. And then on through Kent. Would it have surprised you if he'd headed off across the Channel, gone to Holland or gone north? He could have gone anywhere. He didn't have to come back to the Isle of Wight. What would have surprised me and would have disappointed me was if he had set off and gone all the way back to the Isle of Skye. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> Where he came from in the first place. Yeah, that would have been embarrassing. Um, but to go across to the Netherlands or to France would be very interesting because part of our idea in the future is that the population that's growing in Netherlands and in northeast France and the Isle of Wight and the Solent would join together at some time. So how was Culver feeding himself all this time? When they're very well fed, they can last many days without eating. But there was an interesting observation that he was seen in a stubble field with some crows and a buzzard and he was almost certainly watching what they were doing and probably even stealing food off them. So, you know, after harvesting, you find animals that are killed during that process. And predators, and especially carrion eaters, like a white-tailed eagle, would find that food. When he landed on the Essex coast, I noticed that he was actually away from the shore. So it must have been low tide and he was down on the mud flats or sand flats. And maybe he found a dead bird or a dead fish. And that, they are a carrion eater. They're a bit like a vulture in some ways. So looking for other birds eating something, he would flop down, chase them away and finish the meal. It must be quite a sight seeing one on the ground. Even, I mean, it's, not, it's a juvenile, so how big is the wingspan? Well, the wingspan of a juvenile is slightly bigger than an adult. Really? Yes, because the first year their feathers are slightly longer so that they're more capable of lift. Whereas when they get older, the feathers of many raptors are slightly shorter because then they want a bit more manoeuvrability. So this bird isn't going to get any bigger in the body or longer in the wing? No, he's full-sized. I never knew that. Well, as if I, I make that sound as a surprise. There's so many things I don't know about white-tailed eagles. I don't know why I'm picking up on that one. But he did head back towards the Isle of Wight, and by this time people were out, actively looking for him via the satellite tagging, but rarely catching sight of him. Oh, there's a bird of prey. I don't think it's an eagle. I think it could be the red kite again. Yep, a red kite in the distance. Penny Green is the ecologist at the NEP rewilding project in West Sussex. I've just arrived at the Mill Pond bird hide and there's a big flock of geese out here so some Canada geese and some grey lag geese in there as well uh, and they all look quite calm at the moment and settled so hopefully <laughs> uh, we'll see some disturbance soon as an eagle uh, arrives over the horizon uh, but at the moment it's a, um, a picture of calmness and tranquility uh, with uh, sand martins and house martins uh, whizzing over the top of the water feeding up Um, and lots of swans out there as well at the moment. For her, a sighting of a sea eagle overhead would send out a particular message about the wildlife we could have living alongside us. I've just spotted two white storks here as well, and a really nice thing about them is that they're part of a re-establishment project here. 
One of the main drivers behind that project was to get people excited about having a big fauna in our landscape, you know, living alongside us in our towns and villages and to get people thinking about uh, what we might be missing in our landscape and to think about how we need joined up landscapes as well to help support these these big uh, animals, um, you know, for foraging and nesting and so on. And I really think that that's the driver behind the, the, the white-tailed eagle project as well, you know, getting people excited excited about seeing big big birds in our skies um, and getting them thinking a bit differently about conservation so um, we would absolutely love to see one here at NEP we've got plenty of big trees so I'm hoping in time we'll see them starting to nest here who knows uh, but certainly there's uh, lots of food source for them here in the mill pond um, lots of uh, big fish for them to come and help themselves to <laughs> um, I, I would absolutely love to see that it's such an exciting prospect to see eagles in Sussex where they belong very excited indeed Satellite tracking data has allowed thousands of people to follow Culver, but it's only published when the birds are on the move. We wouldn't give locations if the birds settled in, say, a small area, a wood or a big field, for two reasons. We wouldn't wish the bird to be disturbed by an increase in people. We wouldn't wish the local people living there uh, to be disturbed as well. So we will keep those locations much more general. So you notice that we're not giving locations on the Isle of Wight because we feel that the birds need some peace and also we wouldn't wish people streaming into an area. Culver in the end skirted Nep, and Tim McCrill, who took the chicks to the Isle of Wight in the first place, followed his every move from the island. With Steve Egerton-Reed, the project officer, they watched Culver approaching. Well, it's great how modern technology helps us with this project and the really exciting thing is that Culver is now on the southwest corner of Thorny Island so he's literally just a few kilometers from the Isle of Wight and he roosted in the copse uh, in the southwest corner of the island last night so we're really interested to see whether he stays there today or whether he flies across to the island so we're gonna up the frequency of data we get from his transmitter at the moment we get data from his transmitter three times a day uh, which is every eight hours, but we're gonna we're gonna change it so that we get it every four hours, which means that we're gonna be able to keep really close tabs on his movements. I should say that the way these transmitters work is that they're logging the bird's location every three minutes, so we get very very detailed information on their movements. But the to save the battery life of the transmitters, it's only sent that data is only sent to us in batches, so it's those batches that we need to change today so we'll change it to four hours which means we'll get an update at 10 o'clock in about an hour's time and then another one mid-afternoon so hopefully Steve we might see him today you never know oh, it'd be amazing wouldn't it see him come into Culver Cliff like a fairy tale ending yeah I know <laughs> well having flown you know done this incredible journey across London into Essex through Kent and then Sussex it's exciting he's so close and it'd just be it would be fantastic to see him back on the island today. So. It's coming home, Tim. Let's hope so. Before that, though, there was another sighting in store for one of what was turning out to be a very select group, people who could say that they'd seen Culver on his 425-mile flight. Hi, my name is Wes Smith, and I'm the RSPB site manager in Langston Harbour and Chichester Harbour here in the Eastern Solent. 
I count myself as very lucky to have seen young Culver as he headed through on his way home to the Isle of Wight after his tour de force around uh, southeast England. On that moment I first saw Culver, um, I'd, I'd seen the, the satellite tracking the night before and I'd, I realised that he was kind of hanging around each morning for a little bit, presumably as the thermals were you know, rising, waiting for a bit of heat. And I thought, you know, if I set off down there, um, I've probably got a good chance. It's only like a kilometre away. I would be kicking myself if I don't do it. So, um, so I went off down and uh, down the uh, the shoreline there. And as soon as I saw the uh, the the block of trees, I could see something stood on top. Uh, something clearly quite sizable. Uh, so I pulled out my telescope and um, set it up. And there was young Culver sat on the top of the trees with a few crows um, sort of sat around him wondering what to do. Um, they were occasionally sort of, you know, flying up in the air and like making a feint at uh, pecking him, but he was just sat there completely unbothered by it whatsoever. Um, and it really was amazing to see, you know, the size of a magpie against Culver. Um, and, you know, he's he's uh, many times bigger than a magpie. Um, so it was quite an amazing sight because obviously surrounding you there, um, you've got Halen Island over to your over to your west. You know, um, you've got Forney uh, just there, and you've got the Chichester Harbour mouth. You are within sort of the bounds of civilization, but still in this sort of natural wild area. And there, in front of you, is a sea eagle. <laughs> it was um, it was it was quite a sight to see. And then Culver flew on back towards the Isle of Wight. Steve and Tim went out to try and see him fly home. They knew exactly where he was heading, but that was no guarantee of a sighting. Well, this is just so exciting. We've just got the latest satellite data update from Culver's transmitter, and it shows that at 10.21 this morning, he was halfway across the Solent. So he's actually flying back to the Isle of Wight as we speak. So from the data it looks like he might make landfall somewhere between Seaview and Benbridge so I think without further ado we'll head over there and see if we can find him fantastic you know I bet that bird if it does get back to the Isle of Wight and it looks it I should think it will arrive unannounced and unseen until we check that radio and we find it would be superb if it went back to where it was released the exact site do you think it will? might do i am pretty sure what it will do is meet one of its kind of siblings or the group that uh, it was released with and then culver was home after an eight-day journey back on the isle of wight but unseen apart from by the satellite well it's always exciting when the when the satellite tracking data comes in and today's been particularly exciting because we've now got the full data of Culver's flight today and sure enough amazingly we were on Culver down earlier but we just got there a bit too late because we've got the data and looking at the positions he flew over Culver down at 10:45 this morning so um, about an hour before Steve and I got there which is really quite annoying but then looking at his flight he did a fantastic flight across the island and went over to the needles um, right over the far side of the island on the west on the west side, so he flew from east to west right across the centre of the island. We've not managed to see him, Steve, but it's fantastic that he's back, isn't it? Really great. Well, I mean, we we were saying he's going to come home, and uh, whether it was hope or, or knowing, I don't know. But he's home. He's made it, and you know, it would have been great to have a welcome party for him when he came back onto Culver Cliff. But 
you know it's it's just fabulous to to see him come back and to know that he passed over Culver Cliff where the last eagle was bred in England is pretty incredible for quite an amazing adventure he's had. <laughs> Joe, I was quite shy of asking Ed if he saw any greater significance in the fact that he'd seen this magnificent eagle over the buildings that his father had worked on nearly a year to the day after he died. I was very shy of asking if he saw any bigger significance in that, but he didn't think it was an odd question. And in fact, going back through millennia, we have had a, a spiritual kind of relationship with sea eagles, haven't we? Oh, huge one. Do you remember once we went to the Tomb of the Eagles in South Ronaldsley, mm -hmm. Orkney, and we went on that little trolley and went sort of underground into this uh, amazing building, tiny little stone building underground. And when the farmer first looked in there, he saw the skulls of ancient people and with them the claws of white-tailed sea eagles. That was such an amazing archaeological find and it was just in a farmer's field, I remember. But what was the significance there? Were those eagles helping those ancient people to, to go to the gods? Or what was it? And then more recently I, I was in... Gibraltar once, looking at the possibility that we could restore the white-tailed eagle to the Mediterranean. And an archaeologist said, you'll never believe this, but one of the caves in the rock of Gibraltar we were excavating, we found the remains and activities of the last of the Neanderthals. And with it was a decorated wing bone of a white-tailed eagle. So humans and white-tailed eagles have been together from the beginning of time. And is it fanciful to see a connection there between our, our fascination with this creature? Because after all, it is just one bird, and yet it caught people's imagination in a huge way. Yeah, but it's some bird, isn't it? <laughs> when you look up there in the sky... You know, you wouldn't have seen most birds at that height. But that massive great wing of the white-tailed eagle. And I think back recently to people saying to us, oh, there's no room for a bird like that in England anymore. You know, it's just too big. And there it is, sailing over London. And I could easily imagine, say, in 20 years' time, that they could be nesting along the Thames. So, time to reflect on what Culver's journey has brought. Wes Smith of the RSPB again. I spend a great deal of time out in the salt marsh, shingle and mudflats of the eastern Solent, especially Langston Harbour. And so in the summer months, uh, when the great seabird colonies are there breeding, I'll be out there uh, trying to do all that we can to give them a space in this modern world. And in the winter months, when the geese and the shorebirds return, We'll be doing the same for them as uh, as the seasons swap over. Seeing Culver uh, on Forney Island uh, was like seeing a piece of the jigsaw uh, which has been missing for some time. As humans, obviously, they are outside of our, our reach of memory and, you know, uh, it's been many generations now since we actually saw them here. And even though they're still in our cultural memory and our place names and our heraldry, um, you know, it seems like a very distant thing for us. But for the wildlife here, um, although they uh, they obviously wouldn't be too pleased on a personal level uh, when they saw an eagle, 
Um, it is within them, uh, within their very essence, to have lived alongside these birds. Uh, and for them, it's actually an important thing that they have these, these much larger um, top predators coming through. Um, it's a very important part of, um, of them being a healthy population. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the eagles as they start making their way around, reintroducing that sort of more natural element of the populations. It's going to be very exciting to see and I think really beneficial actually on a, on a sort of a population level. It's just wonderful. And I hope that, you know, eventually we'll get the chance to go down to the Isle of Wight and see them in situ, flying free down there. It would be an amazing thing to do. I think it's the freedom that they kind of symbolise. We all wish we could fly like a bird, I suppose. It's the power and, and rawness of it all. I mean, really, I mean, seeing that bird over London, it felt primeval in a way. It was extraordinary. It was a piece of history, for one thing. The last time that must have happened must have been hundreds of years ago to see a sea eagle such as that uh, flying over London. Um, so it was, we felt quite blessed. It was an extraordinary thing. And if you want to know more about Culver's journey and about the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, go to our website, www.roydennis.org. Next week, we'll be looking at the migration of two young ospreys, satellite tagged by Roy near our home in the Highlands of Scotland, and now on their way to their wintering grounds in Africa. The music, Realness by Kai Engel, is downloadable from the Free Music Archive.